I'm the man. You know, so I got some new boots for Christmas. Oh, I don't really like those. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. How you doing? You look good. I really like it. Uh, it's fun to be together. We're having a fun weekend, and the snow and everything is crazy. How many of you love the snow? You just this is what, why you live here. It's so great. It's odd to. Uh, this was the first time in like 27 years because we never leave on Christmas because of Christmas Eve services and stuff, which I love. And and this year on Christmas Day, Bonnie and I flew down to Arizona where our kids live, all but one, and uh, had Christmas there. And it was like so weird to have it 75, played golf, shorts, sandals. And I'm thinking, you know, I could do this every now and then. <laughs> but, but I miss the snow. I really like it. So I hope that you're just able to embrace what we have here in beautiful Colorado. How many of you... Uh, know that it's the beginning of a new year. I'm assuming you're on top of it, at least that much. Now, New Year's resolutions uh, are kind of a big topic sometimes. Some people are bored with them. They don't make them. They think it's stupid. But I want to challenge you to let God create some new things in you. I remember as a kid, we had this thing called do-overs. Anybody have those? Do-overs. If you didn't like how you started or something, I want to do-over, which means you get to do it again. It's funny, the game of golf, this is hilarious. The game of golf, there's this thing called a mulligan. Anybody know what it is? It's an extra shot. If you don't like your shot, you can have two mulligans. You have one mulligan or whatever. Well, that all started with a guy in Europe named Dave Mulligan, who basically was a cheater. <laughs> and if he didn't like his shot, he would take out a new ball. And so the people he played with would say, well, why don't you just pull a mulligan? Meaning a Dave, you know, because that's what he always does is takes out a new ball. If you go to the rules of golf and get an, a, a manual, the word mulligan does not exist in the game of golf. Isn't that funny? And, uh, but, but we like a second chance. We like the opportunity to say, you know what, I just need to start over. I remember when our kids were little, I would hold them like this and kind of pull them up like that, you know, and, and uh, see if I could get their head to touch the ceiling. No, get out and throw them that high. But just, just that little movement. And they, they would kind of go, oh, and then they would say, again. Oh, again. <laughs> I, I think we, our human nature, when we have a good experience or we want to start over with something, we want to do it. That's what this message is about. All things new is what I've called it. And I, I'm going to take you to this passage where Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And he's, he starts out, we're going to read a, a few verses that start out by saying, look, our ministry is effective and what we're doing matters. And I hope you'll support us in the ministry. Because there's some people in Corinth who are kind of bragging about the effectiveness of their ministry and all the great things that are happening. And Paul's been plugging away doing ministry for years. And so he doesn't sometimes get the recognition but I want you to just think about this. The first thing in your outline, follow along on the back of your program there, is just a new way to live. I want to talk about all things new. What does it mean to have a new way to live? Second Corinthians chapter 5, starting with verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are out of our minds, it is for your benefit. 
Verse 14. Either way, he's saying, in spite of all that, God's love, Christ's love, controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Now that's a huge passage. I want you to think about your old life. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He died for everyone so that those who receive His new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. The idea of living for something or someone beyond self is a very interesting concept. I wonder if, if you live for the right things in the kingdom of God. I wonder if I have those principles built deep in the DNA of who I am. Or if I'm not living. If I'm just living for me. I was thinking about options for how people live. And I don't know, I put three or four down on my little note sheet and I thought you could, you could add to this list. But I, I've met people, being around church and being around people for so many years, I've met people who totally give their lives to serve others. I mean, to their detriment. It's almost like they don't have a life. Their life exists. It's not healthy to just serve others. They, they serve their kids. They serve their spouse. If they have a job, they're just, they cave into every... They don't even have a personal life. They just exist. It's almost like a, a dependency to feel needed. And, and they just exist to please other people. That's not a healthy place to live. That's not how God created us to live. I've seen other people who just totally opposite live totally for themselves. Me, 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 me. It's all about me. It's a selfish way to live. I have a question for you. Do you think people who live selfish know they're selfish? Like when you get selfish, do you have this moment when you go, I'm really a selfish person? <laughs> or, or does someone else have to kind of identify that in you? Because it's, it's tricky because I don't think we know when we're getting selfish. But a lot of people live just for themselves and they would say they aren't. But even the things that they do or sign up for, it's out of selfishness. It's based out of selfishness that they want to do it. And so it's just worth thinking about. I, I see other people who, and I don't think this is healthy either, they just live totally for a cause. Like, they find this cause, this purpose, and it's almost like everyone else, goodbye. Their kids, their family, their future, their, I'm born for this cause and I'm... I'm on the track and I'm going to go there and nothing's going to get in my way and nothing's going to stop me. There's, that's wonderful to have a, go, a godly cause and a purpose, but there are other things that bring balance to our lives. What God wants us to think about in, in living new and having this new man in us is that we are solely told out, totally sold out to God. And that we somehow will say, my heart, my energy, my time, my money, all of it's His. Everything that I'm about reflects something in the kingdom of God. I can give myself to the causes of God. Number two is this, a new person inside. If all things are going to become new, I've got to come to this place where I deal with what's inside of me and the motives of my heart, the integrity that I have or don't have. Verse 16, Paul addresses some of this. He says, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know Him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. 
The old life is gone. A new life has begun. If, if you studied this, if you decided, I'm going to take this verse on, verse 17, and you started looking at commentaries and theologians, you would find a lot of controversy around this verse. And let me just, just create a couple scenarios. Some would say, which I do not believe this first one, some would say that we become a new creation and we no longer have the capacity to sin. Once you come to Christ, there's no capacity in you to sin. It's just a mistake, but it's not a sin because the old man is gone, you can't sin. I don't believe that's true because I know in my old nature I have the capacity to commit sin. That's just, that's just a reality. Uh, the second view is where I stand, and that is that we become fully new, a new creation, and we will face temptation just like we did before. But knowing the truth allows me to find a path that I could escape that temptation. And I do not have to sin. I believe you could live your life, the rest of your life, if you are sensitive to God and you're pulling. You, you do not have to be trapped by sin. Because what happens here is that I've met Christians who have been walking with God for years and should know better. But they have adopted a lifestyle in their Christian walk that actually embraces the idea that they will never be able to get out of this addiction behavior in their life. That that's just who I am. That's just how God made me. It's my DNA. I'm going to always be trapped by this and I can't get out. That is a lie. That's why this verse is very important for you to understand. God creates a new person. This word, new creation, literally goes back to Genesis in the Hebrew, where God creates the heavens and the earth. Uh, that Greek word equivalent in the New Testament, Paul is pulling that out to say, you are a new creation, meaning God has taken something and thrown your sin aside and put a new man, a spirit man, inside of your life. And you do not have to live trapped by the things that used to ensnare you. I'm a new creation. Just say that to yourself a few times this week. I'm a new creation. I'm a new creation. I don't have to get, I don't have to do that. I, I'm tempted, but I don't, have to, I don't have to do that. Because sometimes all we do is work on the outside. You know, have you ever had a car that had a bad transmission? Anybody? just want you to feel my pain here. Yeah, a few of you. I don't now. I got rid of it. But um, I, it's a tough dilemma because you, you feel it slipping, and then they tell you it's shot, and they're expensive, and you really can't sell it because then you're giving someone else a problem, and I don't think that's fair. So you're just, in, you're just stuck in this kind of thing where you either have to fix it or junk it or whatever. And, and let me tell you what to do if you have a bad transmission. If you will take your car down and get new wheels and tires, and you'll get a new paint job, and you'll polish the chrome all up, and you'll do the interior, and you'll make it look absolutely perfect, you will no longer have a transmission problem in your car. How, how silly for someone to suggest that or say that because it doesn't change the transmission. And yet sometimes I see in church life, if we're not careful, we just kind of do a surface makeover. And we just smile more and we just sign up, oh, I'll serve, I'll be a leader. Instead of letting God get out the surgery knife and say, I'm coming in to take that old man out. You're a new creation now. You're not going to live in those patterns, in that way of thinking. We're going to change this. This is not just human behavior modification. Now, there's some agencies that are good at that, and I'm not 
saying that that's a bad thing. But I'm talking about the Spirit of God renewing your mind and enabling you and quickening you to be a new person because of what God has done in your life. Have you ever been around someone that in the heat of the argument, they bring up your worst past sin or mistake? Isn't that awful? I mean, that's just the lowest. Labani and I agreed years ago in our marriage that once something is forgiven, and I think you do have to talk it through and everything's settled, but that, that you can't ever bring that up again because that's gone. It's, it's behind you because it's just like throwing darts. And if you have to be stuck back there, you will never move forward. God does never, He never brings up that old sin in your life, ever. If that's being brought up in your life, you can know it isn't God because He forgives you and you're new in Him. Number three, a new relationship with others. Now, this gets fascinating. And this is kind of the mandate that I want to hang out with you on for a few minutes because this is 2014 and we have some goals as a church that I'll be talking more specifically about next weekend. But, but I want you to plant this seed in you. Verse 18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. I hope you're hearing He's given this task to us. This is our role. This is our job. For God was in, was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And He gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. See, because of the Lord and His calling in our lives, our ministry... In, a, in a, an umbrella sense, for all of us, no matter what your gift mix is, is to reconcile men back to God by bringing the hope of what Jesus came to do and letting mankind know that. I was thinking about relationships that matter. Like, I, don't, I think all of them matter, okay? But after our relationship with God, what might be the most important relationship on this earth? I mean, if you're married, that's got to be it, Right? Because if you, if you don't work on your marriage, you're not going to be married. I, I mean, it's hard. I was looking at stats inside the church and outside. The stats are almost the same. And it's, it's a scary time that we're living in where, when people are failing in their marriage. I just want to encourage you. Pray over your marriage. Love your spouse. Do the things you need. You can't raise kids properly. You can't be healthy if you're not in a healthy marriage. And you know, after all these years of being married to Bonnie, there are still things I do that annoy her. Is that shocking to you? Because <laughs> she's never done anything to annoy me. You know, if you're single, it's, worth, it's really worth sitting back at the beginning of the year and saying, who do I want to be this year? What, what, what am I going to focus on? What am I going to want? What am I going to desire? What am I going to give myself to pursuing? These are, these are good questions. Kids. In-laws, neighbors. We're going to talk about our neighborhoods more this year probably than we ever have in terms of what it means to be a great neighbor and to let the light of God shine. Co-workers. I, I was thinking about you know, reconciling men to God and how we try to do that with our little evangelism plots. You know, and I've got to tell you, I, I've been around church and Christians my whole life, so, so I speak with some experience here. But I want to give you some, some models that I, I don't want us to embrace as a church, okay? One of them is this. One of them, have you ever been around someone that every conversation that you have with them, they find some silly way to turn it toward a God conversation? 
Like, even if it doesn't fit. It's just, they're going to work to make it a God conversation. Now, talking about God is good. But, I, I, I like, here's an example. I, I've been on a plane before where the person next to me, literally, one of the first things they said when we were buckling up and all that, this one guy said to me, are you okay if this plane goes down today? No, I'm not. I'm not okay at all. What are you talking about? And then he said, well, I would be because my faith is in God. And I said, get off the plane. I don't want to sit by you. No, I, see, I don't think that's helpful. Do you think that's helpful? It's just not helpful. That's not going to that's not going to let people see the light of God. That's a threat. That's kind of like saying, "I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. Let's bring it on." You know? It's not a healthy situation and and I I'm wary of Christians who try to make everything a God conversation when sometimes maybe you just need to get to know somebody and just be their friend. You know, another thing that really troubles me is is when we view people like they're a project. That, that we need to go evangelize because that's what God has called us to do. Knowing that we are called to reconcile people to God doesn't mean people become a project that has a number on it and we run out and we try to get them, quote, saved. That Jesus never did that. Jesus walked in truth. And, and He had discussions and He had conversations that did turn to godly conversations, which I think is wonderful. I see Christians sometimes who enter a, a friendship with the agenda of bringing them to faith. Oh, I'm going to become their friend and I'm going to lead them to the Lord because they really need the Lord. Well, I hope you do lead them to the Lord. But if that's the motive of why you're becoming their friend, they're going to smell you before you come to the door. Because that's not authentic friendship. So I would say, we this year, I'm, I'm encouraging friendships with people outside the walls of the kingdom of God. I have, I have quite a few friends that don't know God. Some that don't believe in God at all. And we've had conversations about it. They know where I stand. And I know when to leave the party or when not to go or where I won't go with them. I know those lines. And it's important that we do. So we're not to become like them. But there's friendship that I have offered and they have offered me. And it's enriched my life. And I don't have a friend with an agenda to lead them to the Lord. However, I have learned something. I have learned that if you are somebody's friend before they have a crisis in their life and they fully trust you and they know you don't have an agenda, then when their life does fall apart, guess who they will call? You. Because they trust you. <laughs> and then the second part that I found out about this is that every person on the planet at some point, will their life will fall apart at some level. And so I believe God is calling us to build a web, a network of friendships in our community with people who don't know God at all, not with a motive uh, or to, to do anything with them other than to be their friend, to love them because God loves them, to value them because God values them. But that's light going into darkness. And I want that right model for us as a church. I want to be a church where we can authentically say, come and check out God. Come and ask questions. Come and journey in your faith. We've been blessed. 2013 was amazing. Uh, some of the stats I'll bring you next week blow my mind. When I look at Serve 6-8, the people we served, adoptive family, the bridge, I look at 
the campaign that we've had, the planning of the new church at the strip club, which Pastor Rob was talking about last week. There's so much that God has put on us. And I want us to be a relational church that says we love our city enough to do everything in our power to let the light of God be here. And you guys, that's something that God wants us to do. Number four, a new mission. A new mission. When I think about what God has called us to do, it's really humbling. I don't know if you've ever had someone give you an assignment that was like too big for you, for your gift set, or, you know, it's like, wow, I'm in over my head. Listen to this, verse 20. So, we, that's us, are Christ's ambassadors. That word, like we use the word in government circles, ambassador, I represent a nation. Well, you represent the kingdom of God. You are an ambassador for God on this earth. That's huge. God is making His appeal through us. Like, I'm saying, God, I don't think that's a real good plan. <laughs> because you know me. And if you put, if you really, if you're putting your whole future into our hands, you're taking a risk. Would you agree? He's taking a risk, but He did. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's the passion coming out to say, that is the way to live. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Our mission, our mission is to bring reconciliation between man and God. Because of this hope. You know, I remember as a kid, growing up, and about nine years old, 10, 11, 12, those, those years right there, my dad was still alive, and, and we have, I have four sisters, and on Saturday nights, we'd always be getting ready for Sunday, and the girls would have their hair up in these big old curlers, these big, tall, fat curlers. How many of you ladies remember those days? And, and uh, my mom would be doing hair, and, all, and we'd be sitting around, and we'd be, we would watch a show called Mission Impossible. Remember that? Mission Impossible. And Mannix was on, too, right in there. But anyway, Mission Impossible, one of my favorite shows. Not the movie, but this, these, these TV series. And I loved it because at the beginning, there would always be some crazy moment where the guy's going to get his assignment. And he goes in some place, whether it's a cave or whatever, and he gets this tape recorder. And he pushes the button, and at the end of explaining the assignment would be these words. Your mission, Jim... Remember that? Wasn't his name Jim? It's like, I'm pulling that out from memory, but I'm pretty sure that's right. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it. That was always the statement. And that's, that's what I bring to you today. Our mission, should we decide to accept it, is to reconcile men to God. Is to live in a manner that we build bridges to people who don't yet understand who God is. Examine how do I influence? How do I influence in this community? Ask that question of your life. I, I have four things at the bottom that I think are practical applications to a message like this that I just want to put out there. This, this is kind of like stick it on the fridge for a week or two. Um, that's what I, I keep this in front of me for a week or so. How does this impact our daily lives, these truths? Number one, we do not need to live only for ourselves. We, we really don't. Matter of fact, fulfillment will not be found in that. And, and I think a good evaluation this year 
of you really stepping back and getting people who, who are around you that love you enough to have a conversation. How much am I living for myself? Let's really evaluate that. Ask the hard question. Because I don't think you really know. I think you need help in discovering that. I want you to take care of yourself. I want you to love yourself. You know, the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, which means you have a healthy self-image and you love who you are and you know why you're created. If, if you have that, then you don't have to worry about your, your life all the time. You can give yourself to other things and other people. So be confident in who God made you to be. Second thing is we must not be defined by our past. When, when I was reading this passage and you're a new creation and those old things are passed away, I'm telling you, I, I had a lot going on inside of my spirit. And I think it was for this moment because of the people who might be in this room right now who you, are, you have been defined by something in your past and you cannot get out of that box I had an interesting thing happen uh, this, in these past couple of weeks. I was looking at a questionnaire, and one of the questions on it was, are you a felon? Yes or no? And there was a box that you checked, yes or no. And I'm not a felon, so I could check the no box if I was filling out the application. But I felt like the Holy Spirit prompted me to say, well, there's quite a few felons that will be there this weekend at Timberline. They've had a tough pass. They've had a tough go. And every time they fill out a form like this or a job application, they are asked this question and they have to check yes in a box which absolutely defines them and labels them and this society will not let them out of that. Now, having said that, I understand that what they did, whatever it was, this is part of the consequence of that behavior, right? So I'm not saying the system is all wrong. I'm just telling you this. That's not how the kingdom of God is. When you are forgiven of your sin and you are a new creation, there is no box that you have to check that says, yeah, I am this. Yes, I am identified. When you get to heaven, Peter's not going to be standing at the gate going, all felons, this is your line right over here. Oh, you, sir, you committed adultery. You go over there to that line right there. You, you're a thief. You're in this line over here. No. We are not going to be defined by the things that got inside of us. Even the evil and the sin. When we ask God to cleanse us and there's a new creation inside of us, God removes that stain. And you no longer have to check that box in the kingdom of God that defines that part about you that you no longer have in you. I thank God for that reality. Number three, we understand, this is huge, we understand that we do not fix people. I, I remember a, a, a powerful story of a brain surgeon who became a friend in my life, a totally godless man, atheist basically, and one day I looked out in this church and I saw them sitting about on the fourth or fifth row him and his wife, and I could not believe it. And we were good friends. And I went down to him, and I basically was being sarcastic, and I said, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> he, he hated God. And he started to cry. And, I, and I'd never seen him cry. And I kind of leaned down, and I said, what, what's going on? In his tears, he said, my, my wife has cancer brain cancer. 
and I can't fix her. And it just was, it was just this reality that there's certain things we can't do in people. Let me tell you something you can't do in people. You cannot force them to God. You cannot work hard enough to change their heart. It's not about your behavior changing so they can come to God. It's about you recognizing Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, and God has a plan where all the work has already been done. What we are called to do is to lovingly reconcile people to God by opening our lives, our homes, our houses, our tents of clay to say, I will let people into my world and I will help reconcile them to God. That's a mission that God's called us to do. But I can't fix anybody. The last one is this. We can live with hope. I, I'm an optimist. Um, I'm a realist as well. I've been disappointed enough to become a pretty strong realist. But I don't apologize for seeing the glass half full. You know why? I'm telling you. We're in a culture right now, you guys, if we, if we become the people who are living in despair because of the dark days we're in, where will the light come from? You're, you're, you're the answer. And, and I'm seeing so many Christians right now just kind of, you know, shriveling up and isolating and, man, the world's going to hell and everything's evil and there's darkness everywhere. And it's almost like that self-talk has talked you into just going and living in isolation somewhere. That's not what we're called to do. We're light on the earth. And I want to just say, be a person of hope. Be a person. I, was, I, I haven't seen the show, but I saw an advertisement for it where these people, I can't remember the name of it, it's like uh, where they, they go and they build like a place where they can hide out for three months or six months or whatever because a disaster is coming. And it's the end of the world, and they want to be able to, you know, sustain life. I mean, it's good to plan, but man, some of the stuff they were showing on there seemed kind of crazy to me. And I'm thinking to myself, if that's, if that's what fear does to the church, we can never reconcile men to God. That's why I would say, let's be a church. Let's be methodically planning to saying, God, how will you spend Timberline Church in 2014? How will you use the hope that we can bring to this community because we have it truly in our lives. You say, well, I'm too messed up to bring too much hope. Well, you're God's best plan. And you're a new creation in Him. Why don't you live that way? Why don't you forgive yourself? And why don't you trust Him? And why don't we together corporately say, we're taking this on because this community needs the light of God. And God sent us here for a reason. And let's be the church at work to change the world. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for the reality. The reality that we are new creations. That those old things are past and all things become new. That that's Your promise to us. God, I pray for people in this room right now who are living in worry, fear, the despair that sets in. I just, I pray that you will show them you're a sovereign God. You have a plan. You're not nervous. You're not scared. You're bold. You're God. And you will bring things to pass on this earth. Help us to pray those things in. Help us to be sensitive to how to live in these days if indeed they are the last days. Show us how to live well. And show us how to be bold and kind and loving on this earth. 
with heads bowed in this room, I want to pray for some of you who would just say, I need that hope that you're talking about. After saying what I've said, I don't want you to be embarrassed to raise your hand because I've raised my hand to this before. But if the stuff on this planet, especially right here in America, has gotten to you and you, you've lost a lot of hope and now today the Spirit is trying to remind you that your hope is not in this world, it's in the kingdom of God and you just need to embrace that. And I just want to pray over you. If that's you, lift up your hand to God, would you? Lord, you see our hands, you know our hearts. And I ask you to be the one who comes to heal that and, and remove that fear and despair and help us to focus on the kingdom of God so that even if we die, we're dying doing the cause of Christ, reconciling men to God. Lord, let that be our passion and our hope. Let us be a voice in this world that brings the light of God. Secondly, I want to pray for some of you who would say, my past, I check that box all the time, and it's killing me, and I can't, I can't shake it. It's like old garments that, that are stained, and I, everywhere I go, that's what I feel like people see. And you need to act forgiven. You need to just put on your forgiven clothes and your forgiven face, and you, you need to not check that box anymore of your past. You're not defined like that in the kingdom of God. How many of you need to get that off of you? Raise your hand. I, I want to pray over you. Lord, thank you that you can do this from the inside out. You can rebuild the transmission of our lives, our thought life, our being. We become new creation because of your spirit. Lord, help people to, to love who they are because you have rebuilt them. And show them how to live this out and not to be defined by a a, a check in a box that defines them in some sin of their past. Lord, release them today. Release them now. By the Spirit of God, I pray this in faith. The last thing I want us to pray for as a church, and I think all of us probably need to raise our hands to this, is I want to give myself more in the ways that I can to other people who do not believe in God the way that we do. That that is the hope of the world. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pray for creativity to come into your life. That no, you're not going to run out of here and make a sign and, and try to go convert everybody. I want you to think about how God uses your gifts and your personality to reconcile men to God. How does that work for you? How does that happen for you? I just want you to think about that. Lord, I pray that over every person in these rooms today. I ask you to reveal that plan individually to all of us. And secondly, I pray corporately for Timberline Church. I pray that you will give us creativity and ideas and faith that will blow us away in 2014, just like you did in 2013. The opportunities that we have no idea right now are ahead of us, but you're going to surprise us. Help us to be ready. Help us to be prepared to be able to jump when you ask us to jump without fear of the risk that's involved. We love you. We thank you. I thank you, God, for these people who serve you, who care about eternal things. Let us focus on that and be prayerful as a church this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Lord, we do need you, and we say that, not just in song, but we say it from our hearts as a church. On the first weekend of 2014, we declare, assembled together corporately, we declare that we need you. 
Don't let this just be a program. Don't let us just go through the motions. Don't let it just be habitual gatherings. Let your presence and your spirit consume our hearts and minds and motivate us toward reconciling people to God this year. God, thank you for that. Show us how and teach us. In your wonderful name, we pray it together. And everyone said, Amen. Our prayer team is up here. We'd love to pray with you. Tables in the mall. Remember, the service starts now. God bless you. Thanks for coming to Timberline.